Hey, my name is Amanda. I want to thank you for joining us today. We hope that this message inspires you, builds your faith, and helps you find your next step toward Jesus. Enjoy the message. Corinthians 12. I must go on boasting, although there is nothing to be gained. I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up in the paradise and heard inexpressible things, things that no one is permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself, except if I choose to boast about my weakness. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain, so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say, or because of these surpassingly great revelations. Therefore, in order to keep me from being, becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Well, good morning. Good morning, everybody in Benton, all those worshiping online. You ready for Holy Week? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm, there's Holy Week two weeks from now. Cardinal Baseball starts this Thursday, opening day. I'm sorry, there's two Holy Weeks. Okay, just want to clarify that. Yeah. You ready for Holy Week? Yeah, okay. All right, all right. Uh, if you've ever been interviewed for a job, you know that the dreaded question that gets asked is, uh, well, tell us what your most significant weakness is, your greatest weakness? That's the dreaded question, right? Because what do you do with that question? If you say you don't have any weaknesses, you come across as sort of arrogant, right? You don't want that. And if you tell them your weakness, you may not get the job. So what do you do with that? Well, Monster.com recognizes that, their job uh, uh, site, and uh, they say there's three different tactics, three different strategies you can employ when you get asked the question, tell us about your weakness. The first one is to disguise your weakness as a strength. Like, you know, I'm such a perfectionist, sometimes I, I, I too, you know, it's a little bit too much for myself or for others. Another uh, strategy is to minimize your weakness by basically explaining that you've already overcome it. Like, you know, I could be a task-oriented person, but I've learned that working with people really 
is more efficient than anything else. Or another strategy is just give an answer that doesn't have anything to do with your job. Like, you know, if you're interviewing for um, a financial job and it's all numbers and they say, well, tell us about your week. They say, well, I can't swim to save my life. That's, you know, that's a safe answer, you know. Now, don't give that answer if you're applying for the lifeguard job, okay? So, so, so here we have this passage out of Paul's letter, his second letter to the Corinthians, where he is telling us about his weaknesses. Now, if anybody in the New Testament has an impressive resume, it would be the Apostle Paul founder of churches. I mean, he had a vision of Jesus on that Damascus road. His conversion experience was as dramatic as anybody's. He could tell a story. Um, missionary to the, throughout the Roman world, starting churches, spreading the Christian movement. He writes half of what we call the New Testament. If anybody had an impressive resume, brilliant scholar, crazy brilliant, um, it was Paul. And yet, here in this letter, the thing that he chooses to revel in is his weakness. And he's not shy about telling us his weakness. He doesn't want us to think that he doesn't have any, and in fact, quite the contrary. As he explains, through these weaknesses, he finds strength. We've been talking about humility through, through the season of Lantid. Uh, we'll continue to do so uh, next week, and we'll be done. Uh, but it would be real easy, I think, to hear these messages, to walk away, to say, wow, I, I ought to be more humble. You know, I should be more humble. Well, friends, I want you to know it's not about ought or should. I want you to hear that humility really is the preferred path. Because what we find in the place of humbling it's something that we'll never find in the place of victory. It's something we'll never find on the mountaintop when things, are all go when things are going great. It's something else. And it's alluded to over and again in the New Testament. Listen to this from the Gospel of Luke. It's a story we looked at, the story of the tax collector and the, and the Pharisee. And, and Jesus wraps up that story by telling us, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Jesus says that multiple times in his teachings. The problem isn't being exalted, it's you exalting yourself, and if you will allow the Lord to exalt you, he will do that very thing. Now, James, go all the way to the end of our New Testament, he says uh, something similar. He said, but God, he gives us more grace. That's why scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Submit yourselves then to God. Then he goes down to verse 10. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. I asked Jordan if he knew that old song, Humble Thyself in the Side of the Lord. You remember that song? Some of you remember that? We sing it in rounds. Y'all looking at me like you have no idea. He said, I had never heard of that song before. I guess they don't sing that in Puxico. Anyway. <laughs> but that's a, that verse comes straight out of scripture because you see it's it's said over humble yourself in the sight of the lord and he will lift you up you see what i want us to hear is that there's great blessing in humility there's great good that comes to us in fact i would say the place of humbling is the place of blessing honor and joy 
So let's look at the place of humbling. And we're going to do this by looking at um, this um, excerpt from Paul's letter. Now, I, I really... I would love to set up all of the context here because anytime you take a passage, anytime a pastor takes a passage out of a New Testament, you understand it comes out of a letter with a whole lot of context. All right. Briefly, one of the things that Paul is having to deal with in the Corinthian church is that other teachers came in after him contradicting much of what he said. And so he would have to deal with this teaching and in order to give themselves cred, street cred, they would often say, well, an angel told me this, you know. <laughs> or they would claim some kind of vision because that was uh, really considered a source of great authority in the first century. They would say they had this vision or this dream and, and that would somehow kind of, you know, cement what they were saying and make it true. And so um, Paul has to refer to one himself but does so ever so reluctantly, verse 1 he said, I must go on boasting, although there's nothing to be gained. I'll go on to, to visions and revelations from the Lord. That's the only time in all of the New Testament that phrase, visions and revelations, because we think that's what the, the false teachers used. They would talk about, quote, visions and revelations to give credence to what uh, they, were, they were saying. Um, then he continues, again, most reluctantly. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Pause for a second. Now, Paul is um, uh, sharing this, again, reluctantly, so much so that he speaks of himself in the third person. We know it's Paul who has this vision. He just doesn't refer to himself. It's third person. It says he was caught up to the third heaven. Now, in the, in, in, in the first century, the common understanding was that there were several layers of heaven. In fact, you know the Lord's Prayer that we pray literally says, our Father who art in the heavens. It's plural, okay? So what, the first heaven is what we would call the oxygen that we breathe, this space right here where you and I are. This would be the first heaven. The second heaven would be the sky and everything that's above us, maybe even outer space. They didn't understand that, but it was that whole big expanse of the sky above. And the third heaven is the, the, the holy place where God dwells. Many believe it's just another dimension right here among us. We don't know. But somehow, Paul was caught up to this third heaven where God dwells. Now, we'll pick it up. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, again, he reiterates, in the body or apart from the body, I don't know. But God knows, was caught up to paradise. This is what they call the third heaven, paradise. And heard inexpressible things. Things no one is permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself except about my weaknesses. So he's reluctantly saying, okay, these jokers come behind me and they say they've had these visions and revelations. Well, let me tell you about something that happened 14 years ago to this man. Again, he doesn't want to talk about himself. And uh, they have these embellished resumes, but Paul just lays it out. And um, as we see, he only, he doesn't, even when he tells us this, he doesn't give us the juicy details. He really only tells us two things about what happened. Somehow that he was caught up into this, into paradise. And he doesn't even know what happened or how it happened. He said, I don't know if it was in the body or out of the body. 
So he, he's caught up. And the other thing, we're only told one other thing about it, is that he heard things he couldn't share. Darn it, Paul, tell us what you heard. I want to hear it. And he says it's stuff that no one is permitted to tell. Now, if Paul wanted to, you know, add to his credibility, he could say, and God told me, y'all, we're wrong. <laughs> he doesn't do that. He just gives us those two little things. And then pick it, pick it back up, verse 6. Even if I should choose to boast, I wouldn't be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. And he's saying, I'm telling the truth. But I refrain. So no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say because of these surpassingly great revelations. Now, notice what he says. I'm not going to tell you all about it because I don't want you to think more of me than what you ought to think. Who says that? I mean, really. Isn't social media all about saying things that make people think more of us than we are? Isn't that what we do? We self-promote. We want to make ourselves be sometimes driven by our own insecurities. We want people to think we're so great. And Paul says, yeah, I don't want to tell you that because you might wind up thinking more of me than you really ought to, and you, you shouldn't do that. So I'm not going to tell you about it. So that's his experience. And then he shares this. He says, therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Now, this is a fascinating passage, and we could camp out here for a long time because there's this mysterious thing going on here, and I, I don't understand it. This was this thorn in the flesh. He's speaking metaphorically, okay? This thorn in the flesh was given to him, implied given to him by God. It's a gift for the purpose of keeping him from getting proud. But he calls it a messenger of Satan. Now there, I don't understand all of that in the workings of, of God's universe. But, but what we see in Scripture is that the devil is real, but the devil is on a leash. He's not free to do everything that he wants to do. We know his calling card because Jesus said the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So wherever you th see life being stolen, killed, or destroyed, that's the work of the enemy. But yet he's on a leash. And somehow, I, and I, get, I don't understand it, somehow, God gives this thorn to him, but it's a messenger of Satan. Um. But here's the thing I want to focus on. It was given to him for a specific reason. We are told that. To keep him from being conceited. Why? Because of these surpassingly great revelations. Whatever it was. Now, Paul, remember, was knocked from his horse and saw the risen Jesus. And he spent three years in Arabia receiving revelation from the Lord Jesus himself. But there must have been something quite spectacular, quite supernatural about this experience that is so special and holy to Paul. He won't go into detail. And it could get to him. It could go to his head. I mean, he could start thinking, wow, you know, I must be pretty special because God doesn't do this with everybody. I don't know any of the other uh, uh, Christian leaders who've had a revelation like this. And it would be easy, would it not? That, isn't it easy that when you, you're experiencing 
amazing things or victories, it's real easy to kind of think really pretty good of yourself. And so Paul is given this thorn in the side because he knows that the greatest danger he faces at this moment because of the revelation is that he would think more of himself, that he would be filled with pride. And one week we talked about pride is the great sin, is cancerous to the soul. Um, And it's opposed to everything who God is and what he does. And so this is his danger in victory, exalting himself because of what's happened. And so he's given this thorn on the side to keep him from being conceited. Self-exaltation is the problem. As we've heard, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. He'll lift you up. God wants to lift you up. He, but the, the difference is he will lift you up. You will not lift yourself up. There's something real dangerous about being in that place of, um, of victory because it's there that you can become proud. I've, um, in my ministry now, over 40 years, starting with youth ministry when I was in college, uh, I, I've, I've known great victory. I've known times where like everything is up and to the right and it's all going great. And I look back at those seasons and I realize I was never more in danger than I was then. We're never more in danger than when we're winning and winning and winning. Because pride sets in. I've also known those seasons where I'm on my face in utter desperation before God in hardship and I've known grace. It's easy to exalt yourself. Uh, if anybody knew about self-exaltation, it was, uh, it was Peter um, on that night that Jesus was betrayed. Jesus told the disciples, Some, one of you is going to betray me. And they all are sad about that, and they say, oh, no, not me. And then they get an argument about who's greatest. We talked about that a few weeks ago. And in that context, Peter speaks up. Peter declared, even if all fall away, I will not. Truly, I tell you, Jesus answered today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you and all the others said the same well you know how that story turned out we're never more in danger than we're thinking so much of ourselves and um, Peter was exalting himself he learns a powerful lesson doesn't he after his third denial the Lord turns and looks at him and his heart is broken and later around a campfire at the Sea of Galilee Jesus lifts him up and says, feed my sheep, and restores him. And so later, Peter himself will write these words, very similar to what we've heard already. He says, um, all of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. God opposes the proud. That night when Peter said, I won't deny you, God was opposing him. And he fell a mighty crash. You see, the place of humbling, though, becomes a place of blessing. Now go, go back to the story here in verse 8. 
He says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. What is the thorn? We're not told. There's endless speculation. You can read all my commentaries just have endless speculation about what the thorn could be. Uh, We don't know. Paul doesn't tell us. Uh, It's most likely a physical ailment because in one of his letters he talks about his frequent eye problems. And he says to one church, he said, if you would have, you would have pulled your own eyes out and given them to me. And other times he he writes with large letters because he's having issues with his eyes. Maybe that's what it is. We don't know. And, you know, I'm kind of glad he doesn't tell us. You know why? Because it has the broadest application to all of us. We all have different thorns. For some, it's relational. Real breakdowns in your family or work or whatever. Others, it's financial. Some, it's physical. But friends, whatever your thorn is, um, God is there in the midst of that. And it's okay to pray to be relieved from it. That's what he does. He prays, Lord, take it away. In fact, he says he pleaded with the Lord, not once, not twice, but three times, Lord, take this from me. And it's okay to pray that. If, 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 I, if, I, have, if I ask you to pray for me one day and I say, I'm, I'm sick, don't pray, Lord, would you let him learn something through this sickness? Pray that I get healed, okay? <laughs> Just pray for my healing. And if God doesn't heal me, we'll deal with it, and then we'll see what happens. But, but pray. So he says, I pleaded with the Lord. Then he says this. And this answer is one of the most beautiful answers ever given to a prayer. It's the most beautifully stated no you'll ever hear. But the Lord said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. What Paul discovered there was that God's grace was enough. He discovered that the presence of Jesus was more precious than words from paradise. That in his suffering, in his pleading with God for that to be taken away, he knew grace. What is grace? Grace is power from on high. Grace is favor from God. Grace is the presence of the Spirit with us. It's Jesus with us. That's grace. And um, that is the place of blessing and joy and abundance because he meets us there. As I said, I've never known more clearly the goodness and grace of God than those hard seasons when it feels like I'm afflicted with some kind of thorn. See, the lower we go, the more we experience Christ. What is the reward? You know, we hear about rewards, how, you know, that, that he comes with his reward. Well, God told us early in the story when he called the father of faith, Abram, who would be known as Abraham. He said to Abram, I am your shield, your very great reward. So what does Paul receive in this affliction, whatever it was? He receives the presence of Jesus, grace that's with him. And he discovers that that's worth more than anything else. You see, it's in that low place. It's in that place of humbling that we find this grace I love this verse out of Isaiah. It's, it's so beautiful. 
It says here, for this is what the high and exalted one says. He who lives forever, whose name is holy. I live in a high and holy place, but also with the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. This God who is high and exalted, we, we sang, crown him with, it, with many crowns. He's worthy of everything. He delights in coming to us in our lowly places. Water always flows to the lowest place. And that living water of God's spirit meets us there in that lowly place. And Paul said, I wouldn't trade it. Now look, we're not, as Christians, we're not in this for the pain. Paul's not asking for a thorn. You shouldn't ask for a thorn. I've never asked for a thorn, but you get them. And when you get them, you discover that in that place of affliction and hardship, you'll learn more there than you'll ever learn in your days of victory because you'll learn that his grace is enough. It really is enough. I've, um, and you've had people tell you their stories and you've seen how God's grace has been enough for them. One such person in my generation, she's about my age, who has been a constant source, reminder of God's grace in hardship is Johnny Erickson Tata. Um, some of you younger adults may not be familiar with Johnny's story. Johnny um, was a young adult, young, uh, early 20s, a very vibrant athlete, and she went swimming in the Chesapeake Bay. She dove into water that was too shallow, and uh, she broke her neck, and she became a quadriplegic, uh, paralyzed from her neck down. And she was bitter and angry, and she railed against God and life for this happening to her, and yet through this process, she, she came to know Jesus Christ as her Lord, and, it, and then she went through a season as a, as a new Christian where she pleaded with God to get her out of that wheelchair. And, you know, we can make these bargains with God. Well, just think what a great witness. I'll go around all the world and tell them how you took me out of this wheelchair. And while he didn't say those exact words, the answer was, my grace is sufficient for you. For power is perfected in weakness. And Johnny became and has been for over four decades now this beautiful inspiration. She's written over 40 books. She's spoken around the world literally to millions of people. She, she's a beautiful artist. She does it with her teeth. She puts the, the, the paintbrush in her teeth and she, she draws. She's quite remarkable. And she tells a story. She was at a conference where she was going to speak. And she was in the ladies' room getting ready. And a woman was there putting lipstick on. And she saw Johnny. And she was well-intentioned, but she looks at Johnny and says, um, oh, Johnny, you always look so together, so happy in your wheelchair. I wish I had your joy. How do you do it? A couple others said, yeah, how do you do it? And this is what Joni said. She said, um, I don't do it. Let me tell you how it works. After my husband, Ken, leaves for work at 6 a.m., I'm alone until I hear the door open at 7 a.m. That's when a friend arrives to get me up. While I listen to her make coffee, I pray, oh, Lord, my friend will soon give me a bath, dress me, sit me in a chair, brush my hair and teeth, and send me out the door. I don't have the strength to face this routine one more time. I have no resources. I don't even have a smile to take into the day, but you do, Lord. May I have yours. God, I need you desperately. 
So what happens then, they asked. She goes, I turn my head toward her, give her a smile straight from heaven to her friend. It's not mine, it's God's. And she says, whatever you see today and whatever you hear from me is because God's grace met me this morning as his grace meets me every morning and allows me to face a day. Now, her story is so dramatic. But maybe you're in a hard season now where you're just making it from day to day. And I don't understand it. Maybe it feels like a messenger from Satan. But hear this. God's grace is sufficient for you in this season. His grace really is enough. You see, the place of humbling is indeed the place of blessing and honor and joy because Jesus meets us there. And he is enough. He is all we need. Let's pray. Lord, this story told to us by your servant, the apostle, is a powerful word. And your answer to his prayer is a beautiful, sobering, powerful answer that your grace is sufficient. God, I I know there are people here listening today and worshiping online who need to hear this. Would Would you please open their hearts to let them know that your grace really is enough? Lord, we thank you for those times of victory and when things are going great. Oh God, may we be on our guard because we are so in danger there. Help us to know that you meet us during the seasons of loss and setback and defeat and hardship. Because when we're weak, we are strong because you are with us. Thank you. Amen. If you enjoyed today's message, make sure to subscribe to this channel. Feel free to share this with others that God has put on your heart. To learn more about LaCroix Church or to find your next steps, head to lacroixchurch.org. Thanks again for checking us out, and we hope to see you soon.